Well, welcome everybody to uh, actually a different kind of format than our normal Sunday meeting because it's the season we're in and we're doing this special program. But for those of you who are not well acquainted with the Prospero School, we're, we're a school, I'd say a movement that teaches therapeutic education based on ontology. And that's a mouthful and we don't have time to go into it today, but the mission statement of the school is to make it spiritual truth an effective force for ordered freedom and common good. All our methodologies and all of our philosophy and our teachings are based on that underlying principle or that underlying mission statement. We formed in 1956 in the state of Florida by Thane Walker, who is passed now and since 1989, but his work continues. And you find if you take the Prosperous classes that the nature of the work is that it's timeless and will be going on for a long, long time in many different forms. Today, we're doing a special presentation on the meaning of Christmas. And it's actually going to be a fairly relaxed affair. So we have much, much of the Prosperous family here and in-laws and related people. So we're gonna take some time to reflect on Christmas this year because it's not like the holiday seasons we're used to, that's for sure. It's been a heavy year been a heavy year for a lot of people. Many of us are fortunate enough to be able to say we have shelter and food and not have to worry about getting through to the next year. Not so many people are that fortunate. And so it's been a very hard time for a lot of people. We're having to get used to things as a result of the pandemic that uh, we haven't had to get used to before. Isolation, feelings of being trapped and, and chained by circumstance. And so it's this different kind of time for a lot of us. So probably a good time to reflect on a holiday time, which is normally full of family and travel and gifts and joy and carrying forward. A time when we're having to be a little more restrained, reach out in different ways to people, but also have a lot of time to spend and reflect on what, what does this holiday season mean to me? Hmm. What has it meant? What can it mean? So we're taking this time to share our thoughts and feelings about what that answer to that question might be. Some of our sharings today will be very personal. Some will be more philosophical, but it's all part of understanding not only the holiday in the sense of Christmas and presents and Santa and all that, but also the deep and ancient changing of the season significance that underlies this period of time in our, in, our, in our year each year, where the solstice is around the corner and most of the other things that we celebrate during the holiday season have relationships with or are founded on or based on the uh, very ancient shifting of the seasons and the archetypal change that that represents in our psyche. So we'll approach it at a much more personal level than all that. And so we'll start with our panel today Four Prosperous mentors, Pam Rodoff, Rick Thomas, Heather Williams, and Calvin Harris will be sharing their thoughts on the meaning of Christmas. And then we'll have a short period of time to open it up to you, to you all to make brief sharings of what special things you either heard from the four that we're speaking today or just what the season has come to mean to you that stood out for you. So let's get started straight away by hearing from Pam Rodoff who's a mentor, or in fact, our newest mentor in the Prosperos. She lives outside of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we're very blessed to have her in the organization and with us here today. Pam, I'll throw the question out. When I ask you to come up with, the, with what Christmas meant to you, where did it take you? And, and Pam, you'll, I mean, Ben, you'll have to unmute Pam. Oh, I'm sorry. Hold on one second. There, I think I got it. Okay, cool. cool. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, when Al first talked to me about doing this, the first thing that popped in my mind was one of my first Christmases. And my brother and I had gotten boxing gloves for Christmas. And, you know, before the day was out, we were in a slugfest. And I kind of established our family tradition of knock down, drag out, battle royal, yell fest. <laughs> And, um, you know, as we, as we got older, we got a little wiser and 
we didn't really have the energy or the inclination to carry on the tradition anymore, but never fear, the next generation picked it up for us and the generation after that. Now, during this, I had had my first crossroad class and I felt really armed and ready to bring the peace bringer at Christmas. I couldn't wait. When I walked through the front door, I could see my mother was stressed out, which she always was at Christmas. She turned on me and she started barking orders and, oh yes, you need to lose weight. Well, that did it. I, uh, before long, I was, uh, I guess you'd call me a superhero mother crusher because boy, we got into it. So, um, however, you know, when we hit and got in our 20s, we started marrying and they got the privilege of joining our yearly, I mean, yeah, yearly tradition. And there was one Christmas, I remember, I, my older sister and her husband were getting a divorce and he was drunk the entire Christmas and just getting into everybody's business. And I was, he was standing in the middle of the living room and I was standing next to a doorway when a missile sailed past my head and it was so close, it shadowed my face and it smacked him right in the face middle of the face and it was a tennis shoe belonging to my four-year-old nephew who had finally had it and he was not above expressing his opinion but he was just doing what we all wanted to <laughs> we just didn't have the guts to so the rest of that Christmas we sort of slid out of rooms that he inhabited <laughs> now I can't leave it there though because we finally, I think my family has finally learned that Christmas is supposed to be about peace. And I look back at these Christmases as sort of grinding stones where it grinded the sharp edges off of the corners until my family began to fit harmoniously together. I also like to think that RHS and translation through that I smoothed out deeper than I would have ordinarily. Um, I didn't have to pretend anymore that I was centered. It just was and is and gives me all the peace and joy that Christmas promises. And I, I don't think I could have got there without the crossroads. But I'd like to read, change completely different direction and read something to you that a lot of you probably already know. Some of you don't. Um, it's about the origin of Christmas, and I don't mean Christmas trees or other traditions like that. I'm talking about the story of Jesus. So hold on, let me find it here. Okay. Uh, and the reason I'm reading this because it was really freeing to me when I first read it. It, helped, it was another step in me getting loose from my religious background. At the time of Jesus, there was a Roman god very popular with the military named Mithras. Though he underwent some changes along the way, Mithras was 1400 years older than Jesus. Mithras was born of a virgin mother on December 25th. Mithras shut himself up once a year in a cave, tomb, and emerged born anew. He died and was resurrected in order to become a messenger god, an intermediary between man and the good god of light. Mithras was the sun god, the unconquerable sun, December 21st through 25th, when the lengthening darkness of night is finally conquered by the sun. He was worshipped on the sun's day, Sunday. The Christian's day of worship started out on Saturday, but was switched to Sunday. In short, there's almost nothing original about the story of Jesus. And it's not just Mithras, there's many other gods that have the same archetype story as that. Uh, but anyway, that I just wanted to, in case you all had never heard that, I thought I would stick that in there and probably upset some people, but, um, and I think that's it for me. I'll, I'll hand it back to you. Thank you, Pam, for sharing that. Interesting to hear that your own personal background, plus the comments about Mithras. And I imagine most of this crowd can roll with that. No problem. Yeah. Let's hope. 
Next is Rick Thomas, who's also a mentor in the Prosperos and good friend of mine for many, many years. Rick, take it away. <laughs> okay, thank you, Al. So when I was thinking about Christmas, um, I couldn't help but um, reflect on some of my childhood a little bit, particularly when I was probably five, six years old, something like that. And um, I'm remembering how uh, my family went to midnight mass at our Episcopal church, which was in Tucson, Arizona. And um, I also remember that I wasn't particularly fond of getting up at midnight to go there. And neither was I particularly fond of going to church in the first place. So um, sad to say it, but what I remember about that experience most is right in the middle of the mass, invariably, I would have to go potty and it was bad. And I was sitting there suffering, holding it in and wondering what the heck was I doing there. So it's, um, I don't know if I can call that a, a fond memory in particular. So um, I guess that doesn't say much about my experience with church, but what I do remember though about the, the priest that was running that church was that his name was Father Fowler. And I always thought, well, that's, that's a good name. That has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Father Fowler. So uh, Father Fowler was a World War II veteran who had lost a leg in, in, the, in World War II. And he um, had some, um, what I want to call unique ex uh, way of expressing himself. And um, he didn't let that slow him down at all. And he was very successful with his parish. He had a large membership, um, good outreach to the public. And on top of it, he was uh, quite a character, you would call him. He's um, one of those people who never held anything back. And so he would bring forth his particular points of view and his experience. And, and he brought that to bear. And um, I liked him. I liked him quite a bit. I enjoyed his presence. I enjoyed the way he he was, his way of life, and um, his sermons were reflective of his experiences, and they were very interesting to me. So kind of two different views I had about being in that environment and what was important for me there. And I think probably what I take away from that is that it isn't so much about the religion or the spirituality that you, that you follow, and it's not about your ethics or your race or your culture, but it's about um, about being all the person that you are. It's, it's your your way of life. It's the way that you connect to others that makes all the difference in the world, in terms of yourself as well as others, and um, how you're perceived and how that impacts everybody around you. And his ability to be um, unafraid to be who he was is is something I think that all of us need could take to uh, take to heart. And, and, and see if we can do the same and hold nothing back. And um, there's something freeing about that. There's something real and it's true. And so I admired Father Fowler quite a bit. His example showed me something about life that's very important. Being all you can be, living life to the fullest, no matter what the challenges are, and sharing your spirit with others. Good stuff, good stuff to remember anytime. Another thing that comes to mind about Christmas is um, the world seems to slow down and we all come together in some way or another. And no matter where else we're facing, be it this pandemic or a war, the divisiveness that maybe we all see in the world, maybe some fear or loathing. Instead, this time of the year, we're able to rise above that a little bit and become aware of the spirit within, good spirits, holiday spirit. And I think there's some honor and dignity, dignity in us and that we can do this. It's almost like a, like a ceasefire in a war where there's a shot across the world and suddenly there's peace on earth to a certain degree. And with that, I think comes compassion and love and understanding. The thing is, we all need to be about living or being this way all year long. And I'm thinking too, kind of like what Pam was talking about, about the birth of Jesus and the other avatars in that same time period. 
that marked a new beginning in our history of spirituality and growth for the world at large. And we moved out of worshiping the multiple gods and began on the path to the understanding that there is but one God, one beingness. And so I think that too is an incredibly important, important time to re reflect on and, and how that changed the world really. And though we still have challenges and issues, we're actually moving forward, even though it feels like maybe now we're moving backwards in time, but we're really not. It's just a matter, I think, of becoming aware of what needs to be let go of so that we can release ourselves to be that true self inside of us, that spirit, that beingness, that's, that goodwill towards ourselves and all of mankind. The other thought I was thinking about is um, from an astrological point of view, the, the time of, of Christ was the beginning of the age of Pisces. And just to speak a little bit about what is Pisces so that we can maybe reflect on that and realize that we're moving into Aquarius now and what that might mean for our path, for our spiritual future. But um, Pisces has been associated with many divine figures in history, as Pan was mentioning, such as Poseidon, Neptune, Christ, Vishnu, the Sumerian goddess, Anana. And uh, the word itself means fish, and in Greek mythology, this constellation represents the koi fish that saved Aphrodite and her son Eros from the sea monster Typhon. And as a reward, the two fishes were placed in the heavens to sign for all of eternity, and that is the symbol for Pisces. 12th sign of the zodiac, also the final sign, and hence the sign brings together many of the characteristics of the 11th signs that came before it. Pisces people are probably known for um, maybe keeping some of those qualities under wraps. Maybe they are a little selfless, spiritual, focused on inner journey, but also placing great weight on what they're feeling as for themselves as well as for others, and feeling all of it, whether that's a burden or a joy but they're known to be quite intuitive and highly involved. And I wonder if that's a quality that we think we've been able to bring to bear in the last 2000 years or so. Something to think about. But now we're starting at the age of Aquarius and on December, December 21st of this year, we kind of kicked that off in particular with um, Saturn and Jupiter as they move together in a conjunction into Aquarius. For me, it feels like kicking into the Aquarian energy, perhaps more than we've been known for. So I guess I guess I have questions about that. Like, what what doorway is it that the cosmic intention, the intention of God, if you will, is opening up for us here and now? I think it's a question for each of us. What what doorway do you want to open up right now? It seems like there's so much in the way of challenges right now that needs our attention. So, what needs to be loosed? loosened up what needs to be given up that we don't need to have around anymore what needs to be released what concepts need to be clarified so that we can see them for the truth that they are so that a new birthing of a new you of a new man mankind can can occur will we finally come together into loving community unity peace on earth goodwill towards man Aquarius to me speaks to that so perhaps we're moving into a new beginning of love and compassion for all, a shift in consciousness into a new religious spiritual order, or as Al said at the beginning, to make spiritual truth an effective force for ordered freedom and the common good. I think the true meaning of Christmas isn't about once a year. It's a spiritual force, a shift in consciousness into the true self, a focus on what is truth, what is love, what is freedom? And is this a path we are opening into? Or how do we do that? Just like we experienced during Christmas, we stop, we slow down, we think with our hearts, we feel with our minds. And in this action, I think we can come together in unity and wholeness. But it takes dedication, dedication to our practice of spirituality whether that's some religious flavor that you, you like in a traditional religion, whether that's translation that we teach here in the Prosperos or releasing the hidden splendor, 
or any other spiritual discipline that you may have learned in your life. It's about giving up our old erroneous views of ourself, embracing the new self we find within in that process. And it's about walking the talk, living the truth of what we've discovered and being a beacon of light for others so that they may find their own way, leading by showing others the way, the truth and the life. The birthing of mankind into a new future where there's peace on earth, goodwill, compassion, love and understanding of one another. This is Christmas. I'm thinking now of the words from a song that some of us probably know, maybe all of us, that's entitled, If We Only Have Love. And it goes, if we only have love, then tomorrow will dawn and the days of our years will rise on that morn. If we only have love to embrace without fears, we will kiss with our eyes, we will sleep without tears. If we only have love with our arms open wide, then the young and the old will stand at our side. So let us all be a, all that we can be, holding nothing back, living life to the fullest, no matter the challenges, and sharing our spirit of truth, love, wisdom, and compassion with others. Merry Christmas, everybody. Aloha. Thank you, Rick. Much of what you said resonated with me, for sure. Especially it being a time of year when maybe even someone who's not necessarily predisposed to be that way has the desire to give, a desire that comes directly out of compassion and coaxes people into going out beyond themselves and giving for the benefit of others, only to find that that's their true wealth. Heather? Well, all right. Thank you. Thank you, Al. Thank you, Rick. Thank you, Pam. Thanks, everybody. So um, talking about Christmas. So when Al uh, asked me to think about contributing something to this gathering, um, uh, what came to me that seemed to be significant as I was, I happened to be looking back over some of my paintings and this particular painting that I did when I moved back to Wisconsin years ago, 1990. Um, after 20 years of working with the Prosperos, taking classes with Thane and um, working down at the service center and 10 years of that. And then I got back into drawing and painting and became an art, uh, an art apprentice to a wonderful, wonderful painter named Jan Sather. And he became a Gnostic priest while I was um, working with him, lived with him and his family. And so his thinking of um, religion or thinking of spirituality in many, many ways was similar to what, what we study about ourselves in the Prosperos. And so I'd like to, um, I'd like to share a painting that um, I painted when I moved back to Wisconsin in 1990. At that time, I was also working with Louise Hay and, um, I was teaching art to people with AIDS and I was um, working with her in her teacher trainings 
So I had spent 20 years working with Thain and the Prosperos, working with Jan, uh, who taught art as a spiritual um, perception to bring forth from within you, which is in the Gnostic Gospels. If you bring forth that which is within you, it will save you. If you do not bring forth that which is within you, it will destroy you. That is the Gnostic Gospels. And um, I think that's what I learned with, with Jan as far as what are you going to paint? What are you going to paint? You are going to listen to yourself and you're going to learn about your perception and then you will learn techniques and you'll have to practice techniques, but there's much more than technique. And I think we learn that in the Prosperos too. We have our techniques, our tools, but the tools are there to open you to much more. So what was so valuable to me if from 1970 to 1990, how many years is that? That's 20 years. I was, I guess I was about 23 to 43. And so, okay, I'll share this screen. I'll share this painting. So let's see. <clears throat> Let's see, I'm not gonna share this right now. I think I'll share this. So look at this painting, that's a self-portrait. I did that. We can't see it. Oh, really? Oh, wait a minute, now let's see. So bring your shared window to the front. How do I do that? Sharing is pause. Bring your shared window to the front. Okay, well, what's, it's better to just stop sharing okay. what you were sharing, and then you, you begin a new share. All right. Okay, here we go. And the, uh, we learn something every day. <laughs> Can you see it? Yes. Oh, good. Okay. So when I moved back to Wisconsin, 1990, and I moved back following my gut, because my head said, what would you move back to Wisconsin to your, what you were raised with? I was raised with the Lutheran church. My mother was Lutheran. My father was raised Catholic, but he became agnostic and said, I don't know if there's a God. My dad was a searcher and he taught me many, many things. And one big thing he taught me was, at, I was about nine and he said, we were outside on the lawn and he said to me, Heather, just know, please know this, that a girl can do anything that a boy can do. So I thought, wow, okay. So here's the painting. And I shaved my head when I got back to Wisconsin. I shaved my head, why? I'm back home with mom and dad and sister and other relatives. And here I had been away for 20 years to learn more about that which is within me. It was very important. And I didn't want to forget it. So I shaved my head. My mother was shocked, totally appalled. Everybody was, but it was fine. And then I decided I would paint a self-portrait that would to me express that there's something greater, I guess, because it's above like the old gods. I don't want to really think that. I want to think that that greaterness is our very being that we have accumulated so much stuff around 
the greatness of our being. And we need to let go of that. I think that was what Rick was talking about, what needs to be released. And I had done some releasing and I did not want to go back to what I had been. And um, so I, I stood in front of the mirror and I don't know, I came up with this idea that I've, I'm going to handle in some way, that's why my hand is in there. I am going to be able to handle and move forward with the energy of the universe, the energy of my being and listen to that, remember that and bring it forward into into my life. So that painting um, is just a very important connection to help me wherever I go, <laughs> uh, stop, pause, check in with that which is within. And maybe all of us can do that for a moment. To just stop for a moment. And look around us. And wherever we are, we're all in a different place, a different room, a different house, a different zip code. Well, look around you wherever you are, you're going to see a lot of things, books and computers and the walls and the windows. Just take a look. Everything around you is something, if you're in your house, it's something that you purchased or you made a decision, a choice to bring this into your world. So, if your world is um, working pretty well, feel gratitude for yourself that you've made some good choices. And then take another breath and look around and notice that much of what is around you, that is supporting you, the computer we're using, the walls and the windows, you didn't create those things. You didn't build your house, probably. Some other human being built the house you're living in. Some other human being designed and built and produced the books that are in your library, the tables, the chairs that you use, everything around you is something created by other human beings. So take a moment to feel gratitude for all the other human beings that help to make your world what it is. And one last mm, thoughtful connection to remember. Things that we learned from Thane and from other teachers about the invisible essence that is our very being. that we have tools and we have techniques to listen more closely to the very truth of our being, which connects us with all of life. So take a moment and be grateful for our teachers, whoever they may be. And um, 
let us all remember that there's much to be grateful for. So, so that's it for me. Thank you. Thank you, Heather. Thank you, Heather. It's, it's lovely being in your life and having you in mine. Mm -hmm. Because of that outgoing generosity that you always display wherever you are. Uh, it's a... Uh, Christmas strikes me as a time, not only just emotionally, but deeply, deeply psychically, a time to go home. That's why so many Christmas stories are about going home. And listening to all three of you share what you did, uh, I realize that going home is a far deeper journey than just going back to Texas or going back to Wisconsin. And, uh, and it's an important time. And Christmas is an important time with an important kind of energy and perhaps even guiding principle of how to do that. Someone else who really understands Christmas about going home and goodness knows about generosity with energy on behalf of other people is our mentor Calvin Harris. Uh, who I met when I first came down to Santa Monica from Mount Shasta and my first visit down here was in 1972 and all the prosperous impressed me but wild child Calvin Harris <laughs> impressed me highly. So it's a pleasure to introduce him now to be our fourth panel speaker on what Christmas means to me. Calvin. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Al, for that. Um, and I so enjoyed the other speakers today. I It's uh, really to see these aspects of Christmas brought up. Um, when I think of uh, the Christmas season, uh, the thing that I think of is that I enjoy presents. <laughs> and uh, what came to me when Al had brought up the idea of the um, of Christmas is that whole concept for me was the symbolism of Christmas. And um, I wanted to kind of share that uh, with, with, with you uh, because there's all these symbols that go on with Christmas. Again, there's the presents and the lights on the tree and the candles and the uh, <laughs> tinsel and the smell of incense burning, the candle lights, the um, rows of frankincense, uh, all, of, all of these are symbols, symbols of the season. I would like for you to consider the symbolism of Christmas just for a minute as being an archetype for remembering a greater purpose. Uh, maybe like the prelude of something. It was like what uh, Heather was saying about us maybe taking a moment and stop and pausing and looking. Um, I teach a cultural history class and when preparing material for these classes, I, I cannot come away from the material without the deeper understanding of the power and effects of spirituality, uh, that tug of war of the spirituality within a person versus man's baser elements in the global shaping of the world. Spirituality in its various forms and guises has shaped humanity and the world for centuries. Now, spirituality has been transformed into many religious forms, uh, many of which, uh, of, of, of those, we as Prosperos have come out of. 
forms and practices, partly, uh, and these forms and the different forms and practices are partly due to human survival instincts and mankind's nature as a myth maker. I believe the ancient teachers and holy clerics of old taught dynamic truth in the forms of myth and stories. And our greatest insights still come from the symbolic archetype stories that are told today. For example, deep within the Christian religion, there is the archetypal story of a man. Now, there was a man who lived that was called by many names. One of those names, he was called out as the Christ. And those attributes of his went on to become a symbolic or archetypal lesson for all of us. In time, this Christian figure's birth became deeply connected with the winter solstice celebrations and other celebrations around uh, the um, shortest days of the year um, in December of other religions and became what we, uh, but it became what we now call Christmas. The Christ figure, the uh, Christmas, which is that Christ figure's birth, whatever the actual time of year of this birth was is of no consequence. But what is of consequence is that archetypal symbol that what that birth represents. And to me, that was a gift to a future realization. A hint of that was told to us by the early Christian evangelist who was called the Apostle Paul. There were John and several others, but uh, all of them, I think, were uh, evangelists at that time. And the Apostle Paul, in his writings to Colossians, uh, he talks about the archetypal Christ. Now, what I looked, took away from Paul's words was his clarifying of the foundational doctrine of Christianity surrounding that archetypal life and thus birth of Christ as a gift to mankind to create a new humanity. I love the fact that uh, um, Rick was talking about, uh, we're entering the uh, Aquarian age and uh, which is going to bring about a new type of human consciousness. With the extension of the creative power of the spirit made available through the Christ uh, uh, archetype, that gift to humankind. Paul's words to the Colossians was that Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth. And it's interesting because he says visible and invisible, because as our knowledge has grown, it has grown so much more about the invisible as well as the visible. But I'll come back to that um, a little later. Um, as a child at school, my favorite time of the day was the afternoon nap and story time. I love stories. And as time went on, I real realized that most of my learning came from stories. You can call it history, current events, the newspaper, TV, even now from the internet come stories. Stories can, that can be portrayed through symbols and within those symbols are messages or meaning. Those meanings wrapped in symbol can be very old, so old that their origins have been forgotten. These ancient symbols are known as archetypes and they held the power of instructions for survival in matters of life and death. <laughs> I, that reminds me of uh, Mary Ridley when she would tell us that uh, survival tended to become, uh, th those things that were necessary for survival tended to become sacred. 
The problem is symbol archetypes can lose their effectiveness and usefulness unless we take time to stop, look at them, and examine them from time to time for new insight. Take the symbol of light. Light provides seeing in the dark, to provide a way to seize safely the, the direction you are headed or insights into your action or safety from your predators, becoming aware in a place where only darkness, fear, and blindness would have been. As a symbol, light as a tool has been represented by candles. And that gave way to flashlights and electric lights. But yet the use of the candle is still used in many spiritual and religious practices today because of its archetypal symbol that connects us, our unconscious and conscious, and conscious mind to something else, something greater. Another culture, the Jewish tradition uses candles uh, at this time of year. Um, it's called, uh, the celebration is called Hanukkah uh, and it is an eight day Jewish celebration that com com uh, commemorates the rededication of the second temple in Jerusalem after the Maccabean revolt. What is important is that it was a way of seeing out of darkness. Or in December, the uh, celebration of Kwanzaa, which is a seven-day uh, a seven-day celebration with the use of candles and ceremonies to represent the seven principles of African people's culture to show understanding for their responsibility and accountability in their response to where they live, their community, their family, and themselves. And we can even, in the Christian tradition, see it's altars of candles burning away darkness with light. All people use uh, symbols like candles uh, to a lesser or greater de uh, degree symbols that encompass survival of the human, uh, of the community and a oneness with spirit. The use of food as a sim symbolic goes, as symbolism goes deep in our conscious and unconscious DNA to represent more than to just ward off starvation and death. In many religious practices, people will recognize it's important through spiritual fasting or throwing huge feasts, both signs of devotion. Other symbols like the forest, especially at Christmas time and the trees and people and trees having many symbolic relationships and spiritual practices linked to our survival that links us in communion with the tree, with peace, calm, enlightenment a connection with the planet, with spirit, and with the knowledge and the self. All of this is to say that symbolism has purpose. Now that the symbolism of Christmas is remembering a greater purpose. Christmas is not simply a, commem a commemorative holiday. It is not simply a remembrance remembrance of family and friends. It is not simply a time to give and get uh, gifts a few day days out of the year. Though, though it does include all those things, the real symbolic meaning of Christmas is greater. It is not simply a remembrance of the symbolic Jesus. Rather, I want you to think of Christmas as the gift, the emergence of knowledge within the individual of their own creativity and divinity. As students of truth, let it be a time when you remember that you have a greater purpose in the world and that you become awake or conscious unto the world to reclaim this purpose, to accept it, to experience it, and to follow it so that it may be contributed 
and outpictured back into the world. It is a celebration of our divine relationship. Christmas, the symbolic Christ principle is within us that unites us in the divine oneness. When we move into the Christ principle, be it through translation, meditation, prayer, call it whatever you will, whatever it is that you use. Remember, it is the individual being born back unto the unseen divine oneness which is all there is, these moments of connectedness. It's not for the glorification of the individual, but is the recognition of our real being, our true relationship with spirit, with cosmos, with, the, with truth. It is symbolic in meaning of the person within their knowledge, within themselves, their relationships to the intrinsic bond, to the unseen oneness and their affinity with all life. This is a celebration of relationship. This is the meaning of Christhood. This is that joining of I and the Father. And as we know, the Father stands for or means source. So it's I and the source are one. All that enters through the symbolic Christ consciousness is also one with creative source. Christmas is for, for you. And the wonderful thing is that it does not happen once a year. It can happen anytime you need reminding to go within that beyond all of your personal needs and immediate difficulties. You have a greater mission. And as in the life of Jesus, you must come to find this. You must feel it and allow it to emerge. You must recognize it. Your conscious, logical mind alone cannot fulfill your promise. It is not for you alone, nor are you alone. Only thinking yourself as separate individuals will you keep wandering the desert. You will experience the temptations of the world and you will feel the conflict between the greater emerging part of yourself that may be being pushed forward or emerging from you uh, in this new Aquarian age. Your personal wishes, preferences, and fears. Like the archetypal Jesus, you must allow this greater power and greater purpose to eclipse your life, to envelop your life, and to recognize and to redirect your life. This is Christmas, the emergence of knowledge within the individual, recognition of the divinity within. And for us in this world, and as we say during the solstice, which is the darkest part of the year, let us be like the Jewish festival uh, of lights um, and the candle that uh, is used. There's a candle, it's called the shamish. Uh, and that candle is the one that is used to light all the other candles. You be that candle, you be that gift of Christmas, being bringing forth that which is so. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thank you so much, Calvin. Wonderful insights. Uh, I think that uh, what Janet commented about connecting with others uh, as being so important about Christmas time, we need each other. We need each other all the time. It's, all, it's, it's not in isolation or alone that you can have your spiritual growth continue to increase. It's done in relation. You need other people to know how you're doing. Every person you meet is a version of yourself 
every person you meet is a reflection. Every person you meet, when you understand that they're a reflection, represents another quality in you that connects you to the whole, as Calvin was talking about. Because we are all connected to the whole. The biblical phrase, I and the Father are one, is an archetypal way of saying that we are all fundamentally one. And that oneness is divine. Christmas, and you, if you're going to, if you're, whether you're Christian or not, if you're in, around and kicking and talking to people during Christmas time, you're involved in talking about something that is unlike, you know, Thanksgiving, which is primarily U.S. or regional kinds of holidays and things. Christmas is an international worldwide phenomena. Uh, no matter what religious practice you follow, it's kind of like when I was growing up in, in South Texas, uh, which is kind of, you know, Baptist country at the time. And while my mother was never adamant about me going to church, she said, you can go to church if you want to. Uh, and I went to church for a while. And then maybe I went and shot pool with the boys for a while, depending on what Sunday it was. But uh, nonetheless, I grew up in Baptist country. And so it's in the social tissue all the kinds of things that go along with a particular relig religious slant. And Christmas is kind of like that, whether you are Christian and practice all the trappings of Christmas or not, you're, you're involved in it. It has an effect on you. And to understand that at its very heart, the birth of the Christ is a birth of you into your, a better understanding of your own identity. So there, there are Christmases all year long. Every time your practice, whatever spiritual practice that is, every time you have a realization of an identity of yourself that goes beyond the previous one, you, you're, you're having a Christmas experience. You're having a, a birth in yourself of an aspect of Christ consciousness. And you understand at those moments that it's not a particular revelation. It's a, a revelation that is everywhere present and involving everybody. You naturally become more kind-hearted. You naturally become a little more, perhaps, bemused. A little more impartial. With the patience of a grandmother and the dignity of a king. All of these things come out as an aspect of you waking up to yourself. And, 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 and again, it's, it's not so much arriving at some place you knew or having gone to some place or climbed up to some level of understanding, but rather just to have gone home to return from whatever prodigal ways of thinking we may have in our lives. I've had a few, believe me. I think my brother and I held down the prodigal son part of the, the parable for our family. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's like coming home. Uh, so I'd like to close by sharing with you something that I heard from Thane many years ago, and it uh, is uh, a poem by that lovable old curmudgeon G.K. Chesterton called The House of Christmas. There fared a mother driven forth out of an inn to Rome in the place where she was homeless, all men are at home. The crazy stable close at hand, with shaking timber and shifting sand, grew a stronger thing to abide and stand than the square stones of Rome. For men are homesick in their homes, and strangers under the sun, 
and they lay their heads in a foreign land whenever the day is done. Here we have battle and blazing eyes, and chance and honor and high surprise. But our homes are under miraculous skies where the Yule tale was begun. This world is wild as an old wives' tale, and strange the plain things are. The earth is enough, and the air is enough for our wonder and our war. But our rest is as far as the fire drake swings, and our peace is put in impossible things, where clashed and thundered unthinkable wings round an incredible star. To an open house in the evening, home shall men come, to an older place than Eden, and a taller town than Rome, to the end of the way of the wandering star, to the things that cannot be and that are, to the place where God was homeless and all men are at home. I know my wish for you, as I know yours is for me and all of our friends and all of the people around the world, may this holiday season bring us a new level of peace and understanding. We've paid a price this year and there's a reward involved as a result. So let, let us enjoy that reward and share it with others, the peace of our new understanding. Aloha, everyone. Merry Christmas. <laughs>